This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Five years ago this very night, February 17th, 2010, three guys started a project, an idea, a concept, if you will, to see if a podcast for the New York Red Bulls could actually work. This is the 200th episode of Seeing Red, and we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. It's Mark Fishkin. I'm joined by Dan Dickinson. Hello, Dan. Hello, Mark. Tonight on Seeing Red, we're going to look at the past. We're going to look at the distant past. (laughs) We're going to look at a pivotal point in club history, and we're going to look to the future with guests like Metro Fanatics Dan Ryzansky, the only person to play for and be the general manager of this here club, Alexi Lalas, you might have heard, and New York Red Bulls midfielder and new acquisition, Sasha Kleschen. We're going to look back on 200 episodes of Seeing Red. So if this is your first or 200th listen, we thank you. Tonight is all about you. Let's kick it off with a little bit of news. Since the last time we talked to you, Dan... There's been, uh, you know, even more movement if possible. I didn't think it was possible, but here we are. Here we are. Of course, uh, February 2nd, Tim Cahill formally says goodbye on a free. A lot of folks were upset that there wasn't a transfer fee paid to the Red Bulls to get uh, Tim Cahill. I think a lot of fans, for whatever reason, uh, didn't come to realize that in order to extract a transfer fee from someone, (laughs) a club has to actually want to pay one. And I don't think that was the case with Cahill. I I think uh, it was probably a matter of timing because it was the last day of the transfer window. And Mm. it was probably a little hard to string together an actual uh, transaction to get some money coming the other way. He clearly had a club in mind. So I don't think it's unreasonable to hope that the club would extract value from a DP wanting to leave, especially since they failed to do the same thing with Rafa Marquez. But, um, you know, best wishes to Tim in his future in China. Two seasons in New York, some very important goals, one spectacular season and one less, but nevertheless an important part of the 2013 Shield season. Best of luck, uh, Tim Cahill and Brand Cahill. Uh, New York did away with two 2014 draft picks, Eric Stevenson and Ian Christensen announced today, will no longer be with the club. Ibrahim Sagaya will not be with the club as a player, but will be a coach in some shape or form. Isn't that right? That's what's been announced, and it's unclear whether that will be with the the senior team or RBNY2, which also happened since we last taped, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe not. No, that was, be- that was before. Well, certainly the name has been <laughs> yes. announced. Finally, we have a name that took so long to, to generate and unveil. Well, you, of course, have, have, has heard the tale of exactly what went down with, uh, <laughs> with the folks of the Empire Supporters Club, and if you are not aware... Uh, the folks in the front office, Mark DeGrandpre and others, wanted to call our USL team the Empire Soccer Club, which was the original name of this franchise back in 1995. The Empire Supporters Club owns that copyright, and everything was set to be uh, tied, lock, stock, and barrel, when apparently, from what the ESC says... A logo was presented to them with Empire Soccer Club in the traditional Red Bull logo, 
which did not sit very well with longtime ESC members and fans of the team, especially considering what's uh, transpired since the beginning of the year. And so they said, no. And because of that, our USL, not USL Pro, but USL team, will be known creatively as New York Red Bulls 2, following in, uh, I guess, the path of so many uh, Western Conference teams. Hard to get, hard to get excited about it. What's your, what's your favorite nickname for Red Bulls 2? Oh, I don't know if I have one. Uh. Uh, <laughs> some said Baby Bulls. Baby Bulls has been the one that's stuck with the reserve squad for quite a while, so... I'm I'm partial to that. I'm I'm still trying to figure out whether the hashtag will be NYRB2 or RBNY2. Yes. Number 2 Roman numerals 2, uh, you know, it's I'm sure we'll figure it out mid-season. The team will play at least the first half of the season at Red Bull Arena and um uh, although the season kicks off there uh in a in a couple of weeks, in fact all of MLS kicks off in a couple of weeks, there's been absolutely no information from the club so far about ticket packages, ticket plans how much of the stadium will be open. But fans, I urge you to go to uh, uslsoccer.com, taking in the, uh, the form of mlssoccer.com, and go and check out uh, the Red Bull schedule page. There are only a couple days when the two teams are playing on the same day, so there'll be some away days for the Red Bulls, big, when the Red Bulls, small, will be playing at home. So definitely go check it out. And then news today that um, I think journeyman is the right way to say, forward. Fair. Mike Grella? What, what do we know about Mike, Dan? Uh, not a lot. He has bounced around uh, England a bit. I'm pulling up the press release so I don't sound like a fool while I'm talking about this. Um, he spent time in Leeds and Carlisle United and Swinton Town. And uh, famously, he started reappearing on the American scene. I remember uh, being at practice one day in 2013, and there's some random guy in a Red Bulls kit practicing, and I had no idea who he was, and it turned out to be Mike Grella. Um, he had trialed with the Cosmos and NYCFC, I believe, uh, earlier this preseason, but uh, settled in with the Red Bulls, and if Jesse Marsh's uh, quotes are to be believed, earned his contract in camp. Well, it's good. It's good to know, I guess. Uh, you know, we, we definitely need the club. Definitely needs help up top. Uh, if if you think about how often. Folks like Andre Akpen actually played for the club in over the last couple of years. It will be interesting to see just how much action uh, Mike Grella gets. He's not a young man, 28 years old this year, and I guess third or fourth forwards, depending on who you're talking about, um, we certainly don't uh, get a whole lot of action in this league, but you know Bradley Wright Phillips is uh, is getting on, and we know that with other competitions, local boy Mike Grella might have an opportunity to do more. Glen Cove, Long Island uh, native, and um, played for the Long Island Rough Riders, which is a longtime club out there. Uh, played at Duke. Who else played at Duke? Dan Dickinson. I, Anyone we know? I don't recall. I think Atlee Curtis played it, if I, if I recall correctly. So it'll certainly be interesting to see how uh, what kind of an imprint Grella will make. I know that he uh, has at least one goal during the preseason, and I think it gives even more credence to the notion that Jesse will play a single striker up top. Right now, the Red Bulls have three, count them, three strikers on the roster, Bradley, Peggy, and now Mike Grella. So you'd like to think that perhaps a new a new uh, forward will come along to help uh, ease the, the pain of a long season, but 
local boy has a chance to do good, as we said. Definitely, and you know, I I don't personally count Piggy as part of the attack, the the front line because he's fit in so well in that central midfield role, as we saw during the playoffs last year. So it would be nice to get maybe two more strikers on the roster before the season starts, if we in fact kick off in the first weekend of March. It'll yeah, well, I, I, we have to put that to the side. <laughs> um, uh, given the the. Uh, log jam in the midfield, though, I can't see Piggy playing a midfield role this year. I mean, there's just too much quick talent. We know that Jesse Marsh wants to play fast. We know that everything we've seen uh, from the limited video coverage of the team during their practices down in Florida has been all about speed and thinking fast and moving fast. And uh, listen, Piggy is fantastic. We're we're definitely uh, happy to have him on the squad, but I don't know if I would necessarily call him a speedster, especially when you have guys like Lloyd Sam and a certain other trialist that is down in Florida training with the team right now. I was going to say, how bizarre that Dane Richards reappears as a trialist. Um, You know, been a long time. uh, He left, what, at the end of the 2012 season? Mid-2012 season to go to... Vancouver before disappearing to Burnley. Um, yeah, interesting to see him back. Uh, the team could certainly use some backup on the right side because, you know, Lloyd is fantastic, but you you need to have somebody there in case he gets injured. Um, yep. And he's not, you know, Dane isn't the only trialist in camp. Uh, we've also got Jahan Kennedy Hurtado. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Carl, I'm going to butcher this. We met. We met. Did we meet? We miss you. Did we meet? Uh, and Kamar Lawrence and Anthony Wallace. So uh, lots of defenders, but one one additional winger who may bring something to the squad. A nice uh, talk with uh, Zuba by our friend Brian Lewis of, of the New York Post this week about his role and how he sees himself being a real mentor to Mike Miazga, who, of course, will be away. Well, we, we surmise will be away with the U-20s at the U-20 World Cup this summer. So um, very, very interesting there. There's a lot of news. Of course, the news is not coming with the huge haymakers that we're used to over the first four weeks of the year. We're getting close. February tends to be, you know, be a quiet time. The team is down. Um, the team is down at Bradenton at the IMG Academy, where they uh, they will be playing a couple of teams uh, in the IMG Pro Suncoast Classic, or whatever you want to call that, which is the uh, kind of the training tournament down there. Um, they will be playing uh, HB Koge, which I believe is a Swedish team, on the 18th. That's tomorrow, and every all of that is going to be streaming video, which you can get at NewYorkRedBulls.com. Also, uh, they'll be playing against the Oklahoma City Energy of the uh, are they NASL or are they USL? I, I'm honestly I not sure. I believe they're USL because the NASL team in Oklahoma City didn't come into fruition. Yet. Oh, okay. There you go. And then they'll be playing Toronto FC and then they'll have a classification game. So it be certainly interesting to see Josie in a Toronto shirt playing against the Red Bulls. Will make me a little sad, but nevertheless. And then you know, we're, we're 20 days away from the start of the season, March 8th in Kansas City on Fox Sports 1. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this club comes together. Um, there are a lot of people that don't believe that this New York Red Bulls team is a threat to do much of anything. And uh, we're going to hear what Sasha Kleshen has to say about that uh, in a couple of segments away. So... The way the show is going to go tonight, we're going to talk to Dan Ryzansky from Metro Fanatic about the early days of the club. We're going to talk to Fox, uh, Fox Sports' Alexi Lawless about the time 
when Red Bull bought the team, what that was all about, and then we're going to talk, look into the future with Sasha Kleschen, and then we're going to reminisce a little bit about 200 episodes. Dave Martinez, we wish you were here, my friend, my Voltron partner. Couldn't make it tonight. You know he's going to be back on Seeing Red before too long. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Dan Ryzanski after this. It's Seeing Red's 200th episode at Backheel.com. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, 200th episode. We're going to do Back to the Future tonight. Our first stop is the distant, distant past, 1996, and with our friend, who is the most frequent guest on Seeing Red, 16th appearance in 200 episodes, and that's Metro Fanatics, Dan Ryzansky. How are you tonight, Dan? Take that, Christian Dyer. I win. (laughs) (laughs) Christian, I'm sure, is very upset. It's actually Brian Lewis who you're wresting the crown from, just letting you know. It's a good company. I would say it's a very, very good company. So, Dan, I'm hoping that you could take us back to the early days. Not obviously all of our listeners uh, have 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 the scars to prove it, as I said, uh, of 2019 plus seasons of whatever this team has done to us. But I'm hoping I'm hoping that you you can come back with us to the early days when you were a bright-eyed uh, neophyte, very excited about this team coming into Giant Stadium, and what the early years of being a Metro fan were like. I had lots of hair. It was good. <laughs> um, what was it like? It was. It's you know, there was a buzz. You know, the, the, for that first year, um, you know, there was the World Cup was you know two years before, and all the local area soccer fans, you know, waited. You know, the league was supposed to start in '95, pushed it back. Um, they were supposed to have two teams, one New York, one New Jersey, I think one on Long Island originally, and then they combined them into one. And then, you know, they pushed back a year, and then it was going to happen. And I remember I remember the Internet was, you know, a neophyte back then, right? Yes, it was. So yep. I remember scouring the Internet for any sort of news for any, because, you know, there was nothing out there. Um, and you want to know, you want to know what the team's name was, you want to know, what what players the league signed, how the players had come to the team. All this was like all these rumors which were floating around. And thankfully, there was this wonderful mailing list, uh, MLS and Y, because they didn't have a name yet. And, you know, you start to connect with your fans of the same team. And again, we had no players. We had no name. We had we, we knew nothing. And just to hear those first names, come, you know, when Tab got assigned and then... Donadoni. I mean, there were so many rumors about these huge European names, and uh, well, they signed Donadoni, and there were supposed to be many more to come after that. Come after that, and then Tony Miola, and then to see the team take shape, uh, you know, go for the drafts, and then start that first season, and you know, and to see Giant Stadium with 40,000 there, a number of times, cheering for this team, it, it felt you know it was special. Um, it was you know. A birth of something new, and we, we had no idea it's going to come. I mean, <laughs> to this, where you know, back then all the teams were playing in giant American football stadiums. That's right. And you know, the horrible AstroTurf, which was there at the end of our season and then throughout, and those football lines are horrible. And you look now at beautiful stadiums all over, all over the country. Um, not New England, that they're still playing in the crap hole, but you know. Uh, <laughs> For many, many other teams, um, and to see, you know, from the days of Don Doni 
and then there was you know there was a huge gap where we really couldn't get any stars but to you know to see Thierry Henry you know and probably the greatest player in this league's history to play for this franchise for four and a half years just the whole path over the past 20 years two decades that's a lot of time yeah when you think about um, the most memorable moments of the first few years, well, actually, before we even go there, to take a step back, Metro Fanatic just celebrated its 14th anniversary. Um, talk to us from one content creator around this club to another. Maybe you could give just a few minutes on putting Metro Fanatic together and how and why and sure. uh, all that. Let's go. So it all started with this MLS and why. Uh, mailing list and where I met email list right yeah, yeah email, email list. list yes yes basically you would sit on your computer and get emails from all right. the fans it was right uh, that was the old ways uh, so I met uh, this fellow named Jesse Hertzberg who had the first uh, website devoted to this un- still unnamed team it was you know the website was hosted on its own personal server and then I said hey this looks sounds cool you know why don't I do something like that and then uh, Jesse went away to Asia, I think, to travel. And then I started a website with uh, Miguel Nunez. Um, we started at GeoCities and then uh, put lots of content there. Uh, people Geo who don't know what GeoCities is, GeoCities was free web hosting uh, right. 20 years ago. Wow, so this is so – dates me. But in any case, uh, so basically when, when Jesse came back, he said, why don't we combine our site into one great site called MetroFan.com. Um, long story short, uh, there are two sites evolved from MetroFan.com, SoccerBoards.com, which became Big Soccer, which is Jesse's thing, and MetroFanatic.com, which became, you know, which, you know, we, uh, you know, kind of started, comp- I pretty much ran the old MetroFan.com with Jesse, and then Jesse kind of started to move towards the boards side of things, and then Sergio, Sergio Delgado and I uh, started MetroFanatic.com in 2001, so 14 years ago. Fantastic. So let's now, that's an amazing story. I mean, when you think about this league, and everyone talks about being the league of the internet, especially in large cities where the local media doesn't have enough room to actually talk about the soccer teams then play there. Um, talk to us a little bit about those first few years uh, with the club, how your fandom moved from just being a general fan rooting for the team to wanting to do more. Well, it's funny because I'm always I always like history, you know, and um, we this league had no history. Um, well, sure, right, it's brand new. And, and I saw this. I'm just talking personal as a chance to be part of something historic, you know. Um, just I guess maybe maybe it was all the you know the first year with 36 players, and who could even <laughs> it just. It was hard to keep track, right? Someone had to keep track of all these guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Players like you know, Martin Munnelly and Chris Broccoli and, you know, Brunt Blagenecker, who appeared for a couple of games and then went off into this wilderness, you know? It's funny, some of them are still Googleable, uh, which I, um, I will not admit to doing, but they're out there. And just like, you know, it's funny, with, I was trying, you know, how do we have this complete... This is my chance, or maybe our chance, can't just be going to solve because others have been helping from day one, to have a complete historical record of this team from day one. You know, and to me, just, you know, what has, how Metro Fanatic has grown all these years 
where we do have pretty much, you know, specific, specifically since 2001, just a complete historical reference that we can go look back and games past and players past and years past and terrible general managers past um, and current terrible general managers. Uh, just compare and contrast and see the almost 300 players and, you know, I've, I lost the count of coaches who've made this team what it is. And for all the, you know, not so good times, there have been a number of many good times for the past 19, going on 20 years. And um, it's just a pleasure to, you know, look back for the archives. There are th- 31 players on this team that have appeared in one game. Just one. Which, just a single, a single game. Okay. And... I, I, I'm going to quiz you. Who, who is the one player that has appeared the smallest amount for this club in club well, history? This is so easy. It's Brian Piesner, who was a call-up from, I believe, um, one of the A-League teams. Uh, uh, Charleston or Atlanta, I want to say, um, in 2002, yes, played right. Man versus Kansas City. We won on the road. But there's another guy that also holds that record. And that's Degau, oh, who played oh, a single minute. Degau, Kaka's brother. Degau played the playoff minute. So, and officially, for you know, for, of course, Manchester Fanatic counts all um, competitions. So Degau, as far as MLS regular season, does not exist, which is kind of right. fitting. <laughs> <laughs> I heard his his brother is a good player. Well, considering what we've heard from Kaká, that he was moments away from actually signing with the club, that it actually would have worked <laughs> if if not for the paperwork being delayed, uh, that's, uh, that's absolutely nuts. So when you think about those early years, Dan, talk to us about the, the maybe your top three, if you can do it, most memorable moments. Once you want to cut uh, it off, you'll go... Let's say 96 to 2000. Okay. Let's talk well, about 2000 kind is... Yeah. But I think, so 96, that first home win versus Tampa, of course, to win, really a win. It was So basically, a match was down 3 nothing in the second half, and they scored three goals to tie it. Uh, the last own goal, and Savarese, and then Savarese on a bicycle kick, uh, and then they won in the shootout. Now, for those who don't remember, the shootout was not, so every if a game was tied in early MLS, the teams will go to a shootout which was not a penalty shootout. It was kind of like hockey style, where I think each player got five seconds to score. They yes. could dribble. I, it was weird. It was It was like they had 35 yards, yeah. and they had to dribble in and shoot within a certain number of seconds. Right. And if you, like, if you don't take the shot, it doesn't, within those five seconds, it doesn't count. It was ridiculous. But in any case, Metro is down 3 nothing. They come back 3-3. Savarisi scores the bicycle kick, and then they win a shootout. And it's the first... It was only a one-point victory, but it was really it was the first victory in team history, and I mean, what a way to get it. I mean, that's just beyond memorable on 96. Uh, so I would say 2000, uh, so many great memories from 2000. Of course, Colin Mathis's five-goal game is out there. And I would just say just Clint. Just Clint with his I Love New York shirt, you know. It's funny, yep. if you look at Clint now, he's kind of heavy and, you know, a little less hair. But again, so yeah. all of us. Uh, that's but just right. to see him, you know, rip it up and, and just go and tear it up, you know, five goals in one game and just brilliance. It, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, we've seen Henri but, and what he can do, but really there's never been a player at the 
height of his because I'm, I'm really obviously peaked elsewhere, right? He peaked elsewhere. Yes, yes. But but that 2000 was where Clint Mathis was the greatest American player maybe ever for for you know for for that year 2000 early 2001. He was all ours, you know. And if not for that stupid offside call in the playoffs, Valencia definitely scored. And uh, Jeff Bradley, if he was listening to this, he could argue with me forever. But that was a goal and whatever. So that's. Uh, just to, just to put it in words, here's what Clint did in, in uh, 2000. Best 11, all-star, two-time player of the month. Uh, he was the team MVP and the team scoring leader. 13 goals and 13 assists. In three quarters of the season. That's right, in 21 games. So he was uh, clearly, and then three more goals and two more assists in the playoffs. Right, and of course the five-goal game, which is still an unbroken record, which is you know, 15 years ago, and no one, a couple of guys have had four no one has come close to five. I urge you to find this game on YouTube or wherever you can find it to watch Clint Mathis absolutely. It was Dallas, right? Yes, against Dallas 6-4. Um, here's a trivia. Who had that other the sixth goal? You tell me. Dolph Valencia. Oh, very nice. Okay, and your, la- your last, your third memory. Okay, and if we go, if we go to, you know... It's, it's be, not Alexi Lawless giving the USC <laughs> the finger yeah, after scoring. Alexi Lawless in this in this conversation. But you know what? I also want to, you know I want um, maybe you know in '98 the season started. You know they lost their first three games, and then they went <laughs> Alexi Lawless. We're gonna talk about, Alexi, but not really Alexi Lawless. <laughs> the team went to Chicago, and you know brand new Chicago team with Sarwell, and uh, there was this uh, rookie defender who uh, Alfonso Modell decided to put on the field, you know, and we had no idea what this guy will be. And he came there, you know, like in his early 20s, bleach blonde hair, and uh, they won, won nothing in a lawless goal of all people. Yes, and, it was. Uh, that defender pretty much didn't leave the lineup for the next eight, nine, five years, you know, played there and then came back. And then they, and then uh, won the hearts of uh, pretty much every fan of this franchise over the past uh, two decades. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good one. That's a good memory. We, Whoever that I guy want, was. Yeah, you know, we we obviously want to focus on the past. I I will uh, I will offer you <clears throat> just a few seconds of editorial on your thoughts on uh, what's happened in January and February. Oh boy, um, it's. Idiotic, what they did to Mike Petke. That's it. I'm not gonna say anymore. Okay. Uh, have you been able to look with an objective eye about the team that's been put together uh, so far in spring training? Here's what scares me. You know, uh, we just signed uh, Mike Grella today. We have we have two forwards on our roster, and they're Bradley Wright Phillips and Mike Grella. And uh, you know, and Bradley, of course, was absolutely terrific last year. You know, beyond you know. Anything anyone's ever expect, but doesn't the team need you know a little more than one than two forwards on the team? Um, what happens? It just seems that unless there's someone in the pipeline, that unless they want to play this one forward, you know, lineup, I, I know how, um, and you know, let's talk about up tempo winning soccer. It's hard when when your whole offense depends on one guy. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to work. And also, defense kind of worries me. You know, 
Alavi's gone. Um, this, uh, you know, Jean-Baptiste is supposed to... I mean, why are we signing Chivas USA rejects? That's kind of what, you know... Because, I mean, like, Hurtado is in camp too now. Of course yep. not Eduardo Hurtado. No. D- Dane Richards is in camp as well. Well, I love Dane Richards. You know me. <laughs> bring down Dane Richards. <laughs> so that's okay. That'd be, that'd be okay to bring Dane Richards Well, of back. course. But, but, because, but Dane Richards is not really new on this team, right? Because we got Oitz. Right. Because midfield should be fine. Unless you, but in any case, who, the central defense just completely worries me. You know, and uh, however Zubar is going to fit. And, I mean, Jean-Baptiste is supposed to be a good player. But no one picked him from Chivas in the, in the dispersal or the waiver draft. And same thing for Hurtado if he comes. And then Damian Pernell, I don't know why he's back. You know, if they saw something in him, maybe he can play up-tempo soccer. Maybe that's his thing. Um, it worries me, you know. When Roy Miller is the most dependable part on the back line, that's scary. Um, you know, but... I think we'll have some growing pains uh, this year. Well, I think the growing pains probably were going to happen anyway when you lose two players, uh, three players, I guess, with Alave, the kind of players that we lost. So, um, listen, don't want to take too much more of your time. I'll close with this. Uh, It's, you know, go go back to 1996. Did you see 15 soccer-specific stadiums? I mean, where did you think this was going to go? No, I think... I don't think it was going to go like this. I thought they were uh, back then. I thought they, they that they thought that they can actually fill um, these the uh, giant stadium and the like. I didn't think it was going to go into the smaller, quaint facilities. I don't think we'll see we would see teams in Salt Lake City and uh, Portland and you know and places like Canada. I mean Canada. Come on. Um, I don't think we'll see a second team in New York. I still don't think that's a very smart idea. By the way, do, are you, you guys are not going to talk about that team in your podcast as, as a rule, right? This is only a... Uh, this is seeing red, my Right, friend. right. I am like, not like seeing red and blue, right? That's all. Okay. That, I'm just, yeah. just making yeah. sure. We're you know, seeing colors. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think like, the footprint would, of the league will spread as it did. I was hoping, though, <laughs> that, that, you know, that... They would sign better players, um, and we're kind of seeing that right now. You know, uh, it's just I was I'm kind of hoping that we'll see better players on this team, and that that Red Bull with all those billions will actually throw a few bucks and sign, if not Thierry Henry, then someone who is you know who is not maybe you know a step below, but someone who can uh, who can change the game. And I don't think they will. But prove me wrong, Red Bull. I think that's a fine place to leave it. Dan Ryzansky is the man behind MetroFanatic.com, which is a treasure trove of information. If uh, if message boards are your thing, they've got that. But if you're if they're not your thing. There is an unbelievable historical record of everything New York Red Bulls that I encourage you, and Metros, obviously, that I encourage you to check out. Dan, our all-time most invited guest, we hope to speak to you as the season kicks oh, off. I'm sure you will. Bye, guys. Next, Alexi Lalas on Scene Red number 200. Back after this. 
You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back to Seeing Red, our 200th episode. Our next guest scored two goals for the Metro Stars in 1998 before being traded, along with Tony Miola, to Kansas City for Mark Chung and Mike Amon, of all people. The following year, the Metro Stars only won seven matches, so what do you know about that? He then returned to the club as general manager in 2005 and in 2006 as the club was sold to Red Bull. A Rutgers graduate and member of the United States Soccer Hall of Fame, Alexi Lalas is currently a soccer analyst at Fox Sports. Welcome to Seeing Red, Alexi Lalas. Thank you, guys. Absolute pleasure, and most importantly, congratulations on the 200 episodes. That is that is pretty awesome. Uh, I talk a lot about uh, people that kick the kick the soccer ball, but the reality is that uh, the people like yourselves that continue to support and promote this sport uh, on and off the field are as important as any of us that ever kicked the ball. Uh, and uh, it's like I said, just an absolute privilege and pleasure to join you. Thank you very much. Very, very appreciative. So, Alexi, uh, maybe you can come back with us first and, and think about the good and, and maybe the less good about playing for the Metro Stars in 1998. I know there was a, uh, a late goal and a one-finger salute to the fans <laughs> behind the goal, the net. Can you talk a little bit about your time with the Metro Stars? Uh, yeah, probably not my finest hour. And it was about an hour that I was with the Metro Stars. It was for <laughs> one year. It was uh, back in 1999. I got traded from the New England Revolution, uh, went down to the Metro Stars, and uh, let's see, I walked into the locker room, and a kid came up to me and said, hi, my name is Tim, and I used to watch you play at Rutgers. I was a ball boy, and now I'm a a goalkeeper here, and that would have been uh, Tim Howard, and so I shook his hand, and then I said, you go over and sit in the corner. Don't talk to me again, because you're making me feel old. Uh, I should have treated him a whole lot better uh, at that that point, considering uh, the wonderful things that he has gone on and done. so that you know, that was the the you know my introduction to the to the Metro Stars. Obviously, I played against the Metro Stars and played at Giant Stadium many many times with the national team and then with the Revolution, and it was um, uh, you know it was crazy days. You know, I was with Rooney and Zahn and Zavagnin and and just these you know obviously Tab and Tony and, and these types of players, and it was a a, a real motley type of crew, um, very very diverse and different in the way that we thought about soccer, the way that we thought about life. Um, I vividly remember <laughs> going to, uh, what was the name of the place? Um, Lookers for post-training um, mm. meals. And mm-hmm. you can go look it up what, what, what Lookers was, but they had wonderful food. <laughs> uh, and, and that wasn't the only thing that they had. But, you know, we were, we were young and, and ridiculous back then. Mike Pecky, you know, all, all these, these nuts. <laughs> Alexi, uh, was there real concern? I mean, that was year three or four of the league. Mm-hmm. Was there concern that this experiment wasn't going to happen and you guys were going to have to find real day jobs at one point? Absolutely. I mean, even at, even at that point, and we had good crowds and, and we had had all-star games and, and uh, New York hadn't quite gotten it together uh, in terms of a consistent performance, uh, and I certainly didn't help uh, with that. But there was always the concern. And, and even... Going into the 20th year, uh, I, I'm, I'm still concerned. I'm not as concerned as I was then, but this was still a very young uh, venture. And we had seen good stuff, but we had also seen bad stuff. And, and certainly to come was the contraction uh, and the loss of a couple teams and, and certainly some, some lean years in terms of what was going on. But there was still an ultimate belief that had 
come from guys, so many different guys coming back and being a part of it. I mean, one of the proudest moments I ever had was flying back. At that point, I was playing uh, in Europe and flying back uh, and, and coming to uh, Boston at that time to, to be a part of this this new league in MLS. And I don't regret it for uh, for a second. Uh, I'm very, very proud of it. And I'm so happy that it's continued to last, especially in that area uh, with the, the Metro Stars and then, and then moving on to uh, to the Red Bulls and, and what it means to that area, that metropolitan area. Alexi, let's jump forward to 2005, your GM of the Metro Stars, and then this takeover happens. What was that like for you? Uh, it was surreal. I had uh, I was working for AEG, the Entrance Entertainment Group, and I was working for Tim Laiwiki, who we now know uh, with with uh, with what he did with the Los Angeles Galaxy and now up in yep. Toronto. Um, and he uh, my my career came to an end as it does for everybody. And one door closed, another one opened. He said, "I got an opportunity for you up in San Jose." And I went up in San Jose for the earthquakes for a year and a half or so. And then he came up and we sat down. And he said, "Look, I need you to go to New York." And I was a good soldier, and I got on the plane with my uh, pregnant wife and uh, and our little dog Bob, and and off we went to New York. I lived in the city, and we worked in Secaucus, and um, it was an incredible experience. So I went from San Jose, which was a team in transition in terms of of, of relocating and moving, then I went to New York, which was the Metro Stars, which was a team that uh, was obviously bought and completely rebranded, and probably one of the quickest rebrands. Uh, in sporting history, and then I went on to yeah. the Galaxy where, with, with, with Beckham and all that kind of stuff. So I had all these different type of experiences, but my time in New York was was incredible. Uh, to see that transition and to see what Red Bull was, what it wasn't, and be, to be responsible for all of these men and women who, whenever something like that happens, um, you know, they think about their jobs, they think about their futures, they wonder what's going on, and to try to keep everybody together, and then uh, when it came, uh, when it became very, very apparent that I was not going to be a part of that going forward, they brought me back to uh, Los Angeles. But it was strange and, and, and crazy times on and off the field for that for that organization. Alexi, in 2005, you said. We have incredible competition in this area for entertainment dollars. This is a work in progress, and each year we create more fans of Metro Stars soccer. This is when you got here. Mm-hmm. What's changed in the New York market since then in terms of the challenges both for, as I think you're going to call them, the Red Bulls, and I think you're going to call them New York? Is yes, New I'm, York an MLS city? Uh yeah, so I'm going to call them the Red Bulls, and I'll call NYCFC uh, New York. That's uh, I, I have decided that. You can scream and yell at me, uh, as many do, uh, but that's that's <laughs> just going to make it easier easier for me. And I and I always said that um, the team didn't embrace the New Jersey part of them uh, as much as they uh, as they possibly should. That that quote that you that you read it certainly could could apply today. Some of the same challenges. Obviously, there's a beautiful stadium, and in my mind, one of the best, if not the best, in MLS that you have to sell your product and to put your product in, um, which is wonderful uh, in terms of going forward. But there's there's still challenges, and there will be a challenge coming from across the river, too. Well, I think that's a good challenge, and I think that that's going to help um, propel on and off the field this uh, uh, this club. But look, these are the challenges. I, I remain incredibly proud of the work that we did during that time. And Chris Canetti, who now leads up uh, Houston, was a huge part of that. And we sat down, and we had a plan. And uh, it, it saddens me a little that that plan couldn't come to fruition because the numbers were there. We were moving in the right direction from a business standpoint. Obviously, the soccer part is always important, um, 
and uh, it would have been fun to be able to see how that thing played out. But you know what? You 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 hand it off to the next person, and, and Red Bulls certainly uh, the Red Bull organization has done good things, um, and we can argue about you know some of the other things that they've done. But on a whole, I think they're in a better position now than they were 10, 15 years ago. Speaking of plans, what do you make so far of the Ali Curtis and Mark DeGrand pre-reign over the Red Bulls this year? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I actually had a, a long conversation with Ali uh, a week or, uh, or so ago um, about a lot of these things, and you know, he I asked him point blank. I said would you do anything different? And he thought about it for a while and he said, no. And uh, I, in that sense, I have to respect the fact that, that he is owning these decisions with the recognition that yes, he would have liked it to go smoother, but he believes that what he is doing is right for the club. And whether it's me or anybody else, you want somebody in that position who does believe it, even if it might not be the most popular thing to do. Now, you live and die by these decisions, and, and certainly I have, and, and I've uh, gotten gotten fired for the decisions that I've made, and, and for what has happened on my watch, that happens uh, for for anybody, and he will he will too. It's going to be very very interesting to see what what happens with them. Um, the passion and the debate uh, and the intensity and the emotion was not surprising to me, but I loved it. I loved to see. Even the the, uh, the town hall type of thing where people are screaming and yelling. And, and, yeah, there's some people that probably should have done things a little differently in how they approached mm-hmm. it. But to see that type of passion for an MLS team, that's important. And that's that should be celebrated and that should be harnessed and recognized and respected by Ali Curtis, by the players, by the coaches, even from people on the outside. I loved watching that because it showed that, this is not just something that you pay money for and you go and, and you go and see. This is something that is part of a generation now, and is and there is a uh, uh, there is a connection and an investment, a personal investment that these people have with the this club that they go and that they support and that they watch kick a soccer ball around in the stadium. I remember one of the things that you said way back in the day was we have to be an alternative to going to Knott's Berry Farm, right? Yep. We need we need passion and we need passionate fans, and I, I think we can all agree that night was uh, certainly an outflowing of passion. Um, I, I'm curious if you if you've taken into a look of what what the moves have done and uh, with the club and where you think this team might wind up given that we're 20 days away from the season, they, they certainly have a very strong midfield. Yes. I mean, when you're adding, you know, Felipe Martins and, and Sasha Question and, and these types of players uh, who are, 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 I think, are very, very interesting, um, that, would be, that would be the positive. The problem is that you're putting in the context of losing guys like Terry Henry um, and uh, Tim Cahill and, and Mike Peck. And so you're, you're balancing it out to a little bit but certainly not in terms of those big name players. Ultimately, uh, you and the fans of uh, of the Red Bulls they want a winner, and um, and that's important. And, and I think when you look at this, uh, at the additions and to a certain extent the the subtractions, I think this is going to be a competitive team. But once again, uh, this new team coming in uh, across the way, you are for better or worse, you are going to be compared to it. And God forbid they make the playoffs and the Red Bulls don't make the playoffs because that would, that would not be good from a, from a Red Bull perspective. Um, but I think it is going to fuel that fire. And maybe Jesse Marsh has looked at this situation and said, well, 
while we want to be big and we want to be bold and we certainly can spend money, right now I want to make sure that this is a nuts and bolts type of competitive team because that is the surest way to amass points in MLS. It's not sexy. It's not something that people are going to, especially in the, in the, uh, in the metropolitan area, the New York metropolitan area, are going to gravitate to. But right now I think he is smart in that all he is concerned about is finding a way to win and get as many points as possible to try to assuage some of the, uh, the, the consternation that is out there and will continue to be out there until things yep. go well and go well consistently. Alexi, you've been, uh, let's say, opinionated about uh, the, the comments on the uh, performance of one particular U.S. men's coach, uh, Gary yeah, Klinsman. Yeah. Uh, do you think the men's team has taken a step backwards since the 90s or the O2 team, or it, are we seeing any forward progress under Klinsman? I think we are seeing a natural evolution in many ways. Um, and so is that progress? Yes. Is it progress as Jurgen Klinsmann promised and, and defined when he took the job? No, there is nothing revolutionary or um, different necessarily in terms of the way that this, this team ultimately goes out and I think has success. I've said before that I think he has made it a better version, in many ways a better version of itself. When we look at this, this summer, uh, how did we? What, what points were we excited? We were excited about the fact that the team worked hard, that the team was good on set pieces, um, great goalkeeping, uh, you know, a never say die type of American attitude, all of those things that have been in uh, been in place for many many years. Uh, so that, that's a long way of saying, um, if he had come in and said, I am just going to continue on the path that we started and that many before us started, uh, I, I would. I, it would look very, very different in terms of how I assessed him. But when you come in and you, pro you promise, to use his word, a much more proactive type of approach and dictating how the team is going to play against other teams, uh, I just don't see that. Yeah. Well, if we can only play Panama every day. Yeah, that would um, be good. That would be good. That would be good. <laughs> Lastly, Alexi, and thank you. You've been very generous with your time tonight. Um, talk to us a little bit about what's going on with Fox. I mean, obviously another World Cup for you guys. How How is Fox going to step up and counter the superlative superlative coverage that you were a part of uh, when you were with the team in Bristol? Well, uh, first and foremost, you've got to bring over uh, some talent, and I like to think <laughs> that my hiring aside, they're going to do that. Um, look, uh, there is a responsibility when you have the World Cup, uh, and I, I, I lived it with ESPN, uh, and I, I am very proud of the work that we did there and the bar that we set there. And believe me, Fox understands that they have to hit that bar. Uh, they have some time to do it, although it starts up, you know, this summer with the women's world. Right. And I think you're yeah. going to see an incredible amount of focus and resource and attention be put on this women's world cup, uh, to try to give people an idea that yes, we are taking this, uh, this seriously. And yes, we recognize that we have to get better. Uh, the, the news that we have, uh, the 26 World Cup team, out of the blue for me and I know for a, for a lot of people, but I would submit that any uh, organization and any uh, network would do the exact same thing uh, that Fox did, and if they were offered the opportunity to have that, they would do it. Uh, I'm very, very excited about it because I work for Fox, and if I wasn't working for Fox, I would probably uh, be questioning and, and be a little irritated, as I'm sure uh, other others are, but... Um, 
I do recognize that we need, and, uh, and not just myself, but all of us need to prove to the public that we are going to do things in the, the right way and in a better way. And I think ultimately, if we do this right, we can do it even better. Dare I say that we can do it even better. So noted. One last question. Could you, could you have imagined, take, take us back to playing at Rutgers. <laughs> could you have ever have imagined that the, the career and life that you've led? I mean, you are really the face of the game to, to a generation, if not more, of American soccer fans. Could you possibly that. have imagined sorry. this life? Uh, that's <laughs> um, so, I, so back in, in, the, in the fall of 1988, I showed up in, uh, in New Jersey on Exit 9 off the Turnpike, and I had never been... Uh, to Rutgers, let alone to New Jersey. And my father and I drove the 16 hours out from Detroit and Michigan where I lived. And we met with the coach and he said, look, we're going through a rebuilding year. I can invite you to preseason and I can get you into the ag school. Now, I grew up in Michigan, but I did not grow up on a farm. But at that point, I had gotten rejected everywhere. It was the best thing I had going. And so I said, yeah. He goes, now you can play uh, in the back, right? And I completely lied and said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I played you know, defense all my life. Uh, it worked out okay, but I did everything wrong in terms of picking a school. I had, there was no research done. I knew nothing about it, and it all worked out wonderfully because, uh, number one, I went to a great institution. I was introduced and adopted by the state of New Jersey, uh, and I also got to play in an incredible soccer program there that gave me an opportunity and a platform. I never could have imagined that that day back in 88 when I, when I got off the exit uh, on Exit 9 at the Turnpike, that I would come back again as a player with the Metro Stars and then come back again uh, as the GM of the Metro Stars. But it only goes to show that, uh, that all roads lead back to Jersey one way or another. Clearly, clearly. Alexi Lawless, Fox Sports and Fox Soccer Analyst, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really loved having you. Guys, I really appreciate it. I just want to re- reiterate that the passion that you show and the dedication that, that you guys show and, and all of and, and all of your colleagues and all of uh, the folks out there when it comes to supporting these MLS teams, and in this case, the, the Red Bulls, uh, it, it warms the cockles of my heart. As an, as an old guy, I haven't been around a long time, to see what this league has become and to see this type of um, investment and this passion is just absolutely wonderful. It doesn't mean we don't have a ways to go. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, but we're certainly headed in the right direction. And so here's to another 20 years. Absolutely. Thanks, Alexi. More Seeing Red after this. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back at Seeing Red. Seeing Red's 200th episode, Backheel.com. And now the future. We are very, very happy to have midfielder Sasha Kleschen. Seton Hall product appeared 46 times for the U.S. men's national team. A finalist for MLS Rookie of the Year in 2006. Question followed five seasons with Chivas, with five more at Belgian powerhouse Anderlecht, before signing with the Red Bulls on January 28th. Sasha Question, welcome to Seeing Red. Thanks for being here. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely my pleasure. So we're, we're about 20 days to go before first kick in Kansas City. How are you feeling? And maybe you could talk a little bit about, a bit about the state of the team right now. All right. Personally, I feel great. Obviously, I'm coming, uh, you know, from mid-season basically, so I think I'm a bit more fit than most of the guys here, and, and a bit more, 
game ready, but we're getting there. We're pushing it a lot in training. Obviously, we're we're trying to be top fit for for March 8th for the first game of the season. I think uh, everybody has responded really well to the new coaching staff, and I think Jesse earned the respect of a lot of the players right away by the way he goes about things and the way he pushes us in training and in games and stuff like that. So I think uh, it's been great, and I think we're we're on the right track. I think we'll be ready uh, by the time the season rolls around. Sasha, a lot was made that you've got some connections to people on the team. Obviously, you played with Jesse for a while, and you've got a connection with Dex. But how have you found uh, getting along with the guys who are are new to you? What do you think of the rest of the squad? It's uh, oh, First and foremost, I think we have a very good team. I think on and off the field, a lot of the guys get along really well together. Obviously, I'm not the only new guy here. There's quite a few other ones, but... You know, we've been doing stuff off the field together. You know, we hang out after dinners in the hotels and stuff like that. And, you know, we've been playing little games that, you know, for us to, you know, kind of bond with each other and get to know each other. And then on the field, obviously, we have some very good players. You know, coming in, I basically knew Dax McCarty, Luis Robles, and Sal Zizzo. And I knew the best players as well, having played with all of them. They're obviously very good players. But, you know, getting to work on my partnership with Bradley Wright Phillips, so hopefully that we can link up a lot throughout the season. Hopefully put some goals and assists together for the both of us. I'm excited to play with Lloyd Sam, who I think, in my opinion, is one of the best wingers in MLS. So our attack has been great, and just getting to know a bunch of other guys has been really good. And I think we're working on our defense. Our midfield is going to be one of the strongest in MLS. So I'm very optimistic about our team. Sasha, you mentioned a lot of new guys. You're one of them. Have you ever played on a team that had this much turnover year to year? And what are the challenges with meeting a whole bunch of guys and meshing with such a short preseason? I mean, that happens a lot in MLS. Uh, you know, it happened at Anderlecht also. We had guys uh, that came in. You know, we had sometimes five guys were sold and, and five new guys were bought. So you have to find a way to integrate them into the team right away. And, and it's always like that in MLS. There's going to be guys that move teams. There's going to be guys that retire. There's going to be young players coming in from the academy and stuff like that. So it's no different than any year. I'm new here, but I'm a veteran guy, so I, I've been around a lot. And I just try to do my best to make sure everybody feels welcome, feels part of the team, and, and understands what we're trying to accomplish. Sasha, I, Jesse spoke the other day about some of the players reading some press that might have been writing the club off this year and saying you know, it was a rebuilding year, and he said that the team was getting a little fired up about it. Should, do you think we should expect the team to play with a little bit of a chip on its shoulder this year? I think just the way our style of play is going gonna, is gonna to look like that maybe a little bit. But, yeah, I do think that a lot of people are kind of writing us off I've spoken to a few other players that I know in MLS, and they've even mentioned, yeah, you know, the so-called experts are are not giving you guys a great chance. But you know, he said, us in the know, we we know that you guys are going to have a good team, and and we know what we're <laughs> going to be going up against. So, um, I think throughout the league, we're still going to have a lot of respect for for. I mean, we have the the top leading goal scorer in MLS last season, and we expect him to do great things again this year. And obviously, our midfield's going to be great. And Luis Robles is one of the best goalkeepers in MLS, so. Um, I'm very optimistic. I don't really care what anybody else kind of thinks and talks about <laughs> leading up to the season. I, I, I saw the odds yesterday from the Las Vegas Sportbook that were 15 to 1. Um, I hope some Red Bull fans make some good money off us and, and pick us for the title and, and we win the MLS Cup for them. So we'll see. Well, I assure you if that happens in year one, Sasha, you will be, uh, you will be a golden god in the eyes of this fan base. 
Jesse uh, has paraphrasing stated that kind of rather than have a big name, you know, the team is kind of the star. The system is the star, and how the how the players play in it. But you're one of the most high profile signings this season on the team. You mentioned you're a veteran. Are are you comfortable serving as kind of the public face of the team and? Are you comfortable with the pressure of kind of being the man? Because we've we've had a lot of the man here for a number of years here in New York. Mm-hmm. Look, I have no problem, you know, being a leader on this team, of course. But I agree with what Jesse has said, and that's I think a big reason why Jesse fought so hard to bring me in is because he knows my mentality. He knows that I'm a team first guy. And look, I I've played on teams and understood that the team is the most important thing. And if you want to win, you need everybody to buy into that mentality. So I hope to lead by example. Uh, look, I have no problem. I know I'm an important player on the team. I know I'm an older guy. I know I've been around. I look forward to leading the young guys and stuff like that. But I agree with what Jesse and, and Ali have said that we're, you know, we're not changing everything about Red Bull, but we're kind of going in a little bit different direction where we we think that the team is the most important thing. Sasha, you spent about five years at Anderlecht. Um, and so what sort of changes have you seen in MLS from when you were last year in 2010 with Chivas and now? From a personal standpoint, you know, look, I, I went from Chivas, who as an organization cannot compare to the Red Bulls as an organization. I've felt so welcome here and on and off the field. They've brought me in. They've done everything possible to make me as most comfortable as I can be and, and ready. And the Red Bulls have given us, the, they give us every opportunity to succeed, whether it's the training center, the most beautiful stadium in MLS and things like that. On a, on a national level, I think, you know, I've watched a lot of MLS over the years and the level of play has gotten better. I think the, the quality of guys from maybe eight to 15 now on your roster are a lot better than before where when I played at Chivas, maybe we had eight or nine really good players. And after that, the level started to drop. I think now we have 15 to 16 really good players. And then you see the level starts to drop a little bit. So the, the overall level of MLS on the field has gotten a lot better. Obviously, when I first joined the league, there were only 12 teams. Now we have 20, and there's beautiful brand-new stadiums and the supporters' clubs and all that. So the league has grown tremendously. Jesse, from a lesser extent from what we've heard, uh, Sasha, rather, Jesse wants you playing further up the pitch than you were at Anderlecht, creating those opportunities for Bradley, as you'd mentioned. I knew a lesser extent, Lloyd. What's the biggest transition for you playing further up than you played uh, at Anderlecht in Belgium? Um, you know, it's not that different. I think the only thing now is that my partnership with Bradley is going to have to to be in order for us to be very successful, but I have no doubt about it. Just playing in the one game with him against Toronto, we created a couple of chances. Um, Obviously, having been more of a defensive midfielder for four or five years, I think at the beginning of trainings with Jesse, I, I, I'm always kind of focused on the tactics and making sure that my, my midfielders are where they're supposed to be. And so I think I need to kind of let go of that a little bit and leave that up to Dax and Felipe if they're playing behind me and let them be more of the organizers and try to be more of the creative one. So uh, I did that a lot, you know, in college. I did that with the under-20s. When I played at Chivas, I played out on the left sometimes, which was more attacking. So I think just being able to focus on plays that lead to goals will obviously help the team uh, in a big way. Now, I know we just uh, spoke about those brilliant Las Vegas odds a second ago, and, and the MLS Cup was a pretty bold declaration. But, Sasha, for you, what, what would make 2015 a successful season? 
a successful season, I think, is going to just be determined by how we how we operate, you know, throughout the season as a team and our mentality. I think our mentality has been great. We need to kind of start this thing off, you know. I, I can't say we're going to win MLS Cup on the first season. I hope we, I, I hope that we do it. That's my dream. <laughs> Obviously, that's the goal. That's the goal at at the beginning of every season. But we want to be a team that's hard to play against. We want to be a team that's exciting, fun to watch, creating a lot of goals. And obviously, we're going to, I believe we're going to be competitive in every game. And we're going to be going for, for what I hope is a, is, a, is a playoff position in the East. And obviously, you know, we're trying to build something that we think the fans will be proud of. Sasha, um, when you think about where this team fits and you think about the fact that there is another team that will be playing in the market for the first time, what experiences do you have at Chivas that you see as a mirror of what's about to happen in New York? I think it's great for New York soccer. I think for the players, at least, being a part of those three games every season is going to be amazing. I think for the fans, it's going to be amazing as well. The games against the Galaxy when I played for Chivas was, those were the best games of the season. Those were the games at the beginning of the year you circled on your calendar and you said, okay, we're going to beat those guys down the hall. And obviously, look, we've been around for for 20 years and New York City is just stepping in right now. So we want to make sure that when we play against them, that obviously we show them what it's like and we show them that New York is our town. Um, Everybody's looking forward to those games, but it's like I said, it's great for soccer in New York to create this big rivalry. I think it's going to be great for the MLS and great for the area. So you have those dates circled already on the calendar? I don't know the exact date, but I cannot <laughs> wait for that first game. <laughs> Sasha, there's been a lot of controversy over Jurgen Klinsmann and his uh, way about him in challenging U.S. men's national team players. Uh, past and present, to come back to the league and saying that that might be a detriment to their careers. Any thoughts on the state of the national team, uh, what, ha- what having guys like Josie and Michael and Clint come and now you come back to the league mean for the strengths of the national team and for MLS as a whole? I mean... In order for our national team to be successful, I think MLS has to be successful, in which it has been. It's been getting better and better over the last few years. I think, you know, having big players on the national team, whether they're playing in Europe and maybe not getting a lot of playing time and not getting goals like Josie was doing, I think to have him back in Toronto, where I think he's going to feel confident, he's going to feel comfortable, he's going to be happy on and off the field, that's important for a player like that. So hopefully he gets a lot of confidence and carries that over to the national team and obviously is 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 very successful with the national team. But for the rest, uh, I mean, every player is different on whether they want to stay in Europe or go to Europe or stay in MLS. There's a lot of factors that go into making those decisions, not just what the national team coach is going to think. In my in my instance, for example, I, I felt that moving to New York Red Bull was the best thing for me and my career and my family. So everybody's different. Well, we're very, very happy to have you wearing a Red Bull shirt. Sasha, question, where's number 16 for the New York Red Bulls? Sasha, what did you give Connor Laid to get that number? (laughs) 
Uh, I gave him an envelope full of something. You'll have to ask him if you want more details about that. Connor is a fan of the show and listens to the show, and we will definitely ask him. Sasha, thank yeah. you so much for joining us. We wish you all the best of luck for the coming season. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. More Seeing Red number 200 after this at Backheel. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, number 200, a trip down memory lane, a look to the past and then to the future. It's Mark Fishkin along with Dan Dickinson. Usually our last segment of the night is filled with uh, listener emails. Tonight being a special night, a landmark for the show, 200 episodes on our fifth anniversary as a show, which is crazy. Um, I thought we would take our last segment and just maybe share a little bit about our favorite experiences with the show over 200 episodes. That's a lot of history. It definitely is. Just to just to give you some stats, and we shared a little bit about earlier in the season, uh, earlier in the show, which feels like the season. Dan Ryzenski, Metro Fanatic, all-time appearance leader on Seeing Red. This was his 16th appearance. Right up next to him is our friend Brian Lewis from the New York Post, 15 times. Uh, Christian Dyer and Michael Lewis, each with 10. Franco Panizo, beat writer for the, for the Red Bulls, has uh, five appearances. That's, that's the media division, if you will. There's also the executive division. We can't forget that. The irony, I guess, is sweet. Chris Heck appeared on Seeing Red more than any other executive. He was on three times. And, in fact, he was the one who, uh, you know, during the, the uh, Wednesday July match. The, the Chris Heck Memorial. The Chris Heck yeah, Memorial in 2012 said, that's on me. I scheduled the game. Of course, after Thierry Henry noted how absolutely ridiculous it was to be playing a weekday 1 p.m. matinee, Mr. Heck was ceremoniously sent to the showers. Eric Stover, around during the early days of the show with the Red Bulls, appeared twice. Jerome de Bontan, uh, twice. And then we've had Mark de Grand Prix, the current GM of the team on, uh, excuse me, uh, business uh, operations VP of the team on just once. We hope to have him on short, shortly. We did not, obviously, we're not around during his first stint with the team. Of course, when it comes to players and coaches, Mike Petke all-time leads uh, the list. Ten appearances on Seeing Red for the man who wore the shirt more than anybody else in club history. A very close second is the chatty. Dax McCarty has been on Seeing Red nine times. Luis Robles, uh, who always has an amazing anecdote to share with us, uh, who has been on Seeing Red five times. Lloyd Sam three times and down. Then we go from there. We did have uh, two DPs. One, Tim Cahill, took part in the show last year, or 2013, rather, when things were rosy in Cahill land in New York. And then Bradley Wright Phillips did appear last year. This is before he was a DP. So... I think what we want to do next is turn our attention to our top memories over 200 episodes. First, uh, Dave Martinez wasn't able to take part tonight. His best memories, uh, first of all, any time a GM or a president of the club was interviewed, was, which, which was great. Obviously, Chris Eck, once again, taking ownership of that awful Wednesday afternoon July match against Chicago where I think it was 105 degrees on the field when the game started. 
and he was certainly shown the door for his trouble. Jeremy Hall was our first Red Bulls player that appeared on Seeing Red way back in 2010, one of Dave's best memories. Um, Tim Cahill's interview is, makes it. And any and all Dax interviews. Dax is a wonderful, wonderful interview, a great guy, always has a lot to say. Um, our first interview with Lloyd Sam was also spectacular, says Dave. Uh, his honorable mention, five years of predictions that are absolutely horrendous, which is something we do incredibly well. And five years of missing big news by mere hours after publishing shows, which is something that we did with some regularity. It seemed like every time we would post a show, some big player acquisition news would happen, some other big move would happen minutes after our show went live. So, uh, Dan's top memories, not with the show as long, but his memories, obviously, uh, the Mike Petke live call-in, 15,000 live listeners to hear Mike's first comments after departing the team. Uh, Cahill's interview after his Taylor Twellman drama. If you remember, the beginning of, of 2013, Taylor Twellman was giving Tim Cahill quite a lot of stick in the media in terms of his ability to put the ball in the net, and Cahill owned it and then started putting the ball in the net. So that was one of his memories. And then uh, there was a catchphrase during the 2013 Shield stretch. The team went out to Chivas USA to play a match that, frankly, they had no business losing. They wound up losing the game, and uh, Dan noted my quote at the time was, there's no reason for the Red Bulls to lose the match. The Red Bulls were on a massive high, playing very well. Chivas had lost a ton of games. I think they had won only once in their prior 10 of course, it was a very that's so metro moment for Chivas USA to beat the Red Bulls in 2013. My top five early in the show, if you recall, if you're a longtime listener way back in season one in 2010, uh, Nat Baker was our third man in the booth. And one of our early players on the show was uh, a very young Tim Ream during his rookie season um, with the club before he moved on to England. Reem had made a very poor back pass in the previous week, which had led to a goal against the Red Bulls. And Nat, in his muckraking best, says, so basically it's all your fault then. Which uh, I can tell you both Dave and I were pretty stunned of hearing that come across uh, our headphones. Uh, Tim, to his, to his benefit, uh, owned up to it and said, yeah, I'm just going to try and do better next time. But... Actually telling a player that it was his fault was really, uh, I think, a turning point for everyone at Seagred. Luis Robles shared two amazing stories in his time. The first one, he nearly left the game days before signing his Red, Bull, Red Bulls contract in order to get health care coverage as a real estate agent to avoid his pregnant wife going without health care. I mean, that was a fantastic story he, he shared with us. Also, recently last year, after the Luis Robles bobblehead, Luis told us a story of his son sleeping with the bobblehead and having the imprint of the bobblehead on his poor young son's face because he would sleep on top of it every night. He was hoping that maybe next year they'll do plush toys as, as a fan giveaways. Uh, Petke, obviously, every time Mike was on the show was uh, fantastic, always shot from the hip, always told, uh, told it like it was and wore his heart on his sleeve. 
Uh, Lloyd Sam talking to us, sitting next to Bradley Wright Phillips on the couch, on his couch, who had just joined the club. We had no idea what Bradley was going to mean to this club. Uh, we had no idea that he would be the Golden Boot uh, winner and match the all-time single scoring record for MLS. But when we were talking to Lloyd, he's like, oh, yeah, Brad's sitting right here next to me. We're just kind of hanging out. And my last uh, memory, my last best memory during this list is every one of our call-in shows. We we definitely got going. Actually, it was it was show 100 in 2012, 100 shows ago that we did our first live call-in. Of course, um, Trevor Haywood at uh, at Backheel, then North American Soccer Network, very very instrumental in helping us really serve Red Bull fans with the kind of talk radio format that they deserve. Uh, we all know the big challenges in a Attempting to call uh, one of the sports radio stations in the city and actually talk about soccer uh, without getting ridiculed and hung up on. So over the years, we've done a number of live call-ins. We hope to do more this year. Obviously, um, the show right after Petke was removed from his post was a very, very memorable one. Lots of passionate calls. Always very knowledgeable Red Bull fans call into Seeing Red, and that's one of the reasons why we love doing it so much. So that's just a look back at 200 episodes of Seeing Red. Before we close, there are just so many people to thank to helping us get to 200 episodes. First of all, you, the fans, follow us on social media, engage with us all the time, meet with us at holiday parties, uh, we've had two fantastic Seeing Red holiday parties that have been absolutely a joy to meet uh, and and talk to longtime listeners of the show. We'd certainly like to thank Trevor and uh, and everyone uh, that makes Backheel go uh, as a great home for Seeing Red. Trevor helps edit the show every week and, uh, again, helps us tell our story. We appreciate working with him. Everyone at the New York Red Bulls, uh, from Brian Sow, Corey Hanlon, now Gordon Stevenson, the marketing team there, Every player that you've spoken with uh, over over 200 episodes, you've, everyone that you've heard from, rather, on Seeing Red is a result of a fantastic relationship we have with the club. We really, really appreciate everything they do. They make it very easy for us to have um, this show and create conversations about the team. Of course, my amazing co-host, my Voltron brother, Dave Martinez, as well as new uh, co-host Dan Dickinson, who are both excellent ads to the show and add a tremendous amount of spice. We all know the challenges of listening to single voices on and on as you're listening to now, and we really, really appreciate the dialogue. You guys uh, are brothers in arms, and uh, I appreciate every day. So that's just about it. I'd like to thank for tonight Dan Ryzansky, Alexi Lawless, and Sasha Kleschen for joining uh, Seeing Red number 200. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have uh we won't be back next week but we will be back before first kick or whatever they're calling it assuming there is a first kick the first week of march thank you so much for listening and we'll speak to you soon folks thanks this has been seeing red the new york soccer roundup on backheel.com listen anytime on itunes stitcher and seeingredny.com